This is the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Fur Neiman. If you're looking to generate wealth and passive income in the lucrative world of mobile home parks, you're in the right place. You'll discover solutions to the common legal and operational pitfalls and how to optimize parks to maximize income. Your host is in the trenches. He's a real estate attorney, financial analyst, and mobile home park investor and operator. Now, let's turn it over to Ferd Neiman. Welcome back, Mobile Home Park Nation. Ferd Neiman here again today with another episode of the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast. Got another great guest per usual. Uh, this guy hails from Tennessee, but he's originally uh, from my home state here in Missouri. Uh, excited to hear his story and his company's background and the, the services they provide. Please help me welcome my guest, Kirby Horton. Kirby, thanks for coming on, man. Well, Ferd, good morning. How are you doing today? Hey, beautiful day here in Kansas City. I, I hear you. A little chilly, but it's a nice yeah. day. Well, <laughs> thanks for having us on the uh, the episode here. We appreciate that. You we, got it. Well, you, you we told me some of your background. Uh, well, maybe tell the, yeah. tell the rest of the group here how you got started and, and what you guys do, and we can go from there. Okay. Again, I uh, want to thank you for having us on, and uh, we followed you for the last several years of your product, what you've done, and it's uh, we've used some of your legal services. We appreciate everything you've done for us on the documents that you've prepared and uh, nice work there. Um, our, our company, the firm, as you mentioned, you know, we're based out of Tennessee, but we have crews that are in Little Rock, Indiana, North Carolina, South Carolina, Alabama, and Georgia. And um, you know, we started out probably 15 years ago, my wife and I did. Uh, we have a history of working in the employee benefits arena. That's where we started right out of college, uh, dealing with ERISA plans, uh, pension plans, group health plans. And we had a career in that, did well. And then uh, probably 16, 17 years ago, we decided, you know, for some diversification and and to change direction and where we're going. Um, and after doing a lot of research, a lot of reading, uh, we stumbled upon uh, Lonnie Scruggs' book. Uh, and we basically started out as a Lonnie dealer. And uh, in Franklin, Tennessee, you know, we bought one home, paid $800 for it. <laughs> and uh, the park manager at the time, is actually uh, one of our employees today. And he's been with us um, from the very beginning. He was our very wow. first employee that we hired outside of family. And um, so we bought that home, we rehabbed it, sold it on terms for four years. And uh, that worked out well. So we went back to the trough and uh, got a second and third. And, and finally, uh, by the time we decided to exit the Lonnie business and get into park ownership. I think we had probably 60, 70 homes that we had uh, purchased and rehabbed and then sold on terms. So we had a nice little um, revenue stream going there. One of one of the things, you know, for, that we, we found out, it didn't take very long, was when you do that type of business, you know, I, I found myself being tied to the mobile home parks the first week of the month to collect rent. Right. And then the other thing is it was sort of a self-liquidating business because I put everybody on a 48 month term 
and uh, it, it was very simple. You know, they put three or $4,000 down and pay me two fifty a month for four years. And, you know, everybody's happy. Um, but you're, you're on a uh, treadmill there because it's, it's self-liquidating. You know, you have to replace every time right. somebody pays off their mortgage or, or their note to us, you know, we had to, to go in and find replacement homes for that. Um, and then around that time also, um, you know, Dodd-Frank came into uh, the SAFE oh. Act, you know, was was implemented. And there was thousands, probably millions of dollars spent on legal fees trying to figure out, you know, how to be compliant. And maybe even to this day, I'm not sure that anybody ever figured out the, the magic bullet to be compliant. You know, everybody's got their opinions, but um, it, it just got to be a little dicey, you know, with the SAFE Act and and the concern about uh, if we were doing things right. And the So we, we basically realized that owning the dirt, owning the mobile home community itself was a better way to go. Uh, so we let all of the uh, Lonnie homes run off the books and we didn't replace them. And we just started purchasing uh, and working in uh, the mobile home parks themselves. First one we did, we lost about seventy thousand um, dollars hmm. simply because we didn't know what we were doing. You know, yeah. we knew how to buy and rehab and resell mobile homes, but we did not know uh, really the first thing about running a park or doing due diligence before we purchased it. And uh, but we learned a lot. It was relatively inexpensive tuition, you know, to get into the game and. Uh, after that one, we never lost a penny on any park after that. So uh, it's been full steam ahead. I think we've been involved in probably close to 100 parks at this point uh, that we've gone into. We typically look for distressed properties, uh, properties that have low occupancy, a lot of empty lots, uh, heavy on the POH as opposed to TOH. Uh, you know, then we just go in and and do our deal. You know, we convert the TOH, the POHs to TOH, infill the vacant lots, uh, improve the community, add value to the life of the of the residents that are living in the community. And then once you've added that value to their community, then you can justify rent increases, which increases the value of your asset. And uh, I think we've done very well. We've um, not only have we helped ourselves financially, <clears throat> but we've been able to improve the lives of the residents that are living in the communities uh, that we serve. No, great so stuff. That's where, no. that's where we are today. That's good. A lot of, lot of good stuff there. Yeah, I mean, especially I like that where you're saying you, you improve the community and then you can justify the rents. That's the way we do it as well. A lot of, a lot of people obviously have got some heat and got the industry heat and talking about rent control because they'll go in, double the rents and not even change the phone number on the sign and it's a big problem. Exactly. Right? Yep. No, on the, on the Dodd-Frank piece, I mean, the, I think the, the proper way to get compliance would be to get a mortgage loan originator license, but it's a heavy burden and burden for your sales staff. So that's where the PEP, the 21st mortgage, the Zippy, Vanderbilt, Triad, those places can come in and, and be helpful to kind of do the paperwork. Right. Um, and I, I echo your, you know, your comment about, kind of the recycling of cash or self-liquidating. I mean, that's part of the reason I stopped flipping houses. It was like, I did all this work and I, great, I made $10,000 or made $20,000. 
I paid tax on it, you know, ordinary income. And then I'm like, I got to do it again in order to get my, yeah. like, so then I started doing buy and hold and like, wait a second, I do a little bit of work up front and then I get a little bit each month, but every month and then it go, and of course it goes up and that note goes down and you build equity. So really increases the overall yield and IRR. So I, I'm with you that, you know, the, the Lonnie deals, that's the problem where they, they roll off and then it's like, well, now you don't, now you can replace it. So curious then on your point, uh, your comment about converting POH park owned homes to tenant owned homes. I think most people in the industry uh, prefer tenant homes as well because they just you know, less maintenance. You get rid of some of what can be a depreciating asset at times. But one benefit of the POH relative to the Lonnie deal is it doesn't liquidate itself. You know, you, you get instead of 250 a month, you get 300 a month and you get it forever. Of course, the downside is. is you got to maintain it and help may challenge may require more management more maintenance uh, so it could impact your finance and financing so just in, in general do you guys also have rentals or is the goal just no rentals and you convert them all to tenant owned homes now um the used homes the older homes the 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 legacy homes that we inherited when we bought the park not not legacy the manufacturer sure. but you know the 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 old timers that that were living there before us um we we do everything that we can to convert those as quickly as possible but of course because we're doing heavy infill with brand new homes you know 60 70,000 90,000 dollar homes um all in by the time you get it set and everything it's um we've not done an exceptional job in selling those homes uh for a variety of reasons i think um we just we we bring in so many homes so quickly the absorption is for from a sales point of view is very difficult so when we end up exiting the park we will have some park owned homes in the inventory but they're going to be relatively new homes you know they're going to be anywhere from oh two maybe three years old at the most okay got it uh these homes and uh we try to be very careful. We, we always want to keep an eye on the potential buyer of the community. So, you know, it, I always preach to our crew that, you know, the, the challenge for us is finding the right asset and then exiting. You know, once we figure out how we're going to get out of it, then we need to get in it and then we know what to do in between. So the in between for us, is relatively simple because we've done it so many times. It, right. I don't, simple is not to be confused with easy. Sure. You know, it's simple, but it's not yeah. easy. Yeah, I, uh, I got you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, hear, so, I say that um, a lot too. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so we, we always look at the exit strategy. And of course, if a buyer is, is looking to do agency financing, agency debt for financing, uh, we have to be aware of the, the ratio of park-owned to tenant-owned homes. Um, so we really try to, to bump that TOH up as high as we can, recognizing, you know, the buyer's needs to finance the property. Now, if it's an, if it's an asset that we plan on holding for several years, uh, we're not in such a hurry to, to convert that TOH, uh, the POH to the TOH model. Uh, there is a lot to be said for the POH. Um, you know, unfortunately, it's just a fact that, you know, the seller 
is not going to get the real value of the, the park owned homes. You, you just can't do a eight cap on the right. rental income. So, um, you know, you take a haircut there. So we recognize that with the asset that we're, we're working on, are we going to sell it or is it going to be a intermediate or long-term hold? No, that's a good, that's a good analysis. I have, you know, some similar thoughts on it, but I'm curious um, what goes into the decision hopper as to determine whether or not you're going to flip out of that park or you're going to hold it long-term. Cause a lot of guys only flip parks and a lot of guys say, I'll never sell them. And they just build these big portfolios. Sounds like you're, you know, kind of a little bit of both. Um, so what, what goes into that decision matrix matrix? Gosh, I wish that it was as simple as, um, a matrix that uh, that we could just fall back on. It's a lot of times it's just gut, you know. For you know, you get into a deal and you think that you know this is something that's it's close to a vacation spot that we like to go to. It's it appears to be relatively easy to handle, and then you get in there and you find that um, the municipality is not friendly. Uh, they don't like working with mobile home parks. In fact, they would prefer that we not even be there. Right. Um, so we can get into situations like that where on the surface, it appears to be a, a buy and hold. But in reality, after getting in there and working on it for a while, I'd like to think that we we uncover everything during the DD process, but we don't. You know, I, I do think that we're better each time uh, sure. that we do the DD, but you know, invariably you, you end up missing stuff and, and hopefully what you miss is, is going to be inconsequential. It's not going to, to, to wreck the train. Um, but, you know, you get in there and um, one of the best parks that we ever had, we sold. And, and to this day, I still regret selling it because it was such a, a easy operating park and cash cow. Uh, the offer, you know, I think we sold it maybe three years ago, you know, when cap rates were were really, really low. And it, it was just very appealing and tempting you know, to to take that and, and run with the profits. And, <laughs> I've, and done the same I've done the same thing. Like, <laughs> it was so easy to run. Why did I get rid of that? But that's why somebody paid a premium, in the, you know, direct bill, water, sewer, trash, no park owned homes, fully occupied, you know, good rents. And I had to let her go, you know. But that's exactly like... where that's exactly where this one was. It wasn't very large, you know. It was only about forty lots, but it was so hands off and so easy. It it came the closest to being mailbox money that I've ever seen. Yeah, and been, uh, been there. I think you bring yeah. up a good point too on you know changing the business plan. If the plan is buy and hold, but then something changes, perhaps it's a great offer. But perhaps it's the city. I know one of my mentors at my old law firm, he used this quote. Um, he said, capital goes where it's welcome and stays where it's appreciated. And I bought a park in Northeast Missouri and I had to close before I could get a variance. This is the seller firm date. I had to close. So I talked to the city ahead of time and I needed a variance for infill because I was going to be short. I was too short for the setbacks. And the mayor said, yeah, no problem. Uh, we called our local council person, no problem. It's a town of five people, and um, we closed. Like two days later, there was a you know really crappy trailer park adjacent to ours, like literally just across right across the small city street. 
um, somebody had a meth fire and burned the house down and they died. So we go to the city council two weeks later asking for a variance to put homes closer together. And fire marshal stood up and said, we're lucky that the home that burned down didn't have homes that close together. They all might have burned. So the mayor says, do I have a motion to approve Ferd's variance? And nobody even made a motion. So it died. So we were mad. We went to the mayor. He goes, sorry, I can't make the motion. I'm the mayor. Robert's rules orders says somebody else needs to. So we ended up having every council member come visit the site. And we thought we had the vote. To, okay, I now I see theirs is different. And that was a one-off. And and we were good to go. And we went back to the council. And the mayor told us, I, I you have my word. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to get you your motion. And he had the mayor pro tem motion to approve. And the mayor says, do I have a second? Crickets. The next day, the <laughs> next day we listed that park for sale and we said, your capital is no longer appreciated here. And we sold, we, we, we actually made a little bit of money. Um, and knock on wood, we made money in every project, but that was when we're like, we didn't make the money we were going to make and we didn't put the investment in that community we were going to do. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, the deal changed you know this is 20 minutes from my hometown i'm like we were yeah. gonna run, we were gonna run this park forever and I'm like, you know what i'm not gonna i'm not gonna run it to make pennies we gotta we gotta let us you gotta let us improve it and and i drove by it one time a few years later like five years ago or more um i drove by it and, and it's it looks the same only older it's like nobody put any money into it um it's it's gonna die um so it's, it's yeah. a sad story but you know the way Thank it goes. yeah Nobody can put money into something like that. And it's unfortunate that the, the real losers in that situation are the residents, you know, who need affordable housing. And, uh, you know, that's the biggest loser right there. And then, of course, the the larger community surrounding the, the park right. is a loser as well, because um, housing is important for a good workforce. Affordable right. housing is important for a good workforce. and uh, that particular city council is just strangling themselves long-term um, over a knee-jerk reaction short-term. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so you guys, um, tell me how you convert the tenant-owned homes or the park-owned homes to tenant-owned homes. I've, you know, I've heard people say, you just send them a non-renewal and, and some of them try to try to pitch them on a different lot rent. Some of them try to pitch them on, you know, we'll fix something up. And I'm curious uh, your conversion ratio because, you know, Frank Roth used to, he's, he's done it more than probably most. And he, you know, he's, I've heard him say, if you got a hundred of them and you tell all hundred or not renewing your lease, he said 50 of them will say, cool. And I'll take the slightly decreased payment of the remaining 50. They'll be quiet. And then the time is it comes due half of those, the 25 will say, okay, I'll do it, you know, begrudgingly. And then 25 will go away. So that was kind of his metric was you're going to get about 75% success. Well, I had a client that did it somewhat recently and everybody left and it was like oh, oh crap dear. we weren't we weren't planning on that you know yeah um and a part of it's obviously the, it depends right what's the quality of the homes the quality of the park what's the delta in rent you know and so on but i'm curious your uh experience with it well all of those things that you just mentioned you know the delta is important of course uh the quality of the home is important um we don't take the heavy hand approach that that frank um suggests you know, we take more of a hands-on uh, meet with each person in their living room. Uh, our community managers are empowered. Uh, one of the things for, that we do that 
that we preach to our employees is that they've got the ability to do whatever is necessary to get the job done. I mean, we will support them. We've got their back 100% for them to do what has to be done to accomplish the mission, as long as three criteria are met. And those three criteria is that it has to be legal, it has to be moral, and it has to be ethical. And as long as our employees are abiding by those three tenets, then they can do whatever is necessary to, to accomplish the mission that we have. Uh, so as long as it's legal, ethical, and moral, they have the ability to make things right for the community and for the residents. So we really empower with a bonus structure and just, um, you know, letting the employees know that they're, you know, the, the community manager is important to us. You know, that the community manager is the most important employee in the company. Uh, I mean, they are right there uh, taking the heat every day. Um, there's no day of rest for the community managers. So meeting, meeting the residents in their home, in the living room, uh, helps tremendously. The other thing that we've started doing, um, which I can't believe we didn't do it earlier, was go to J.D. Powers, you know, who owns the uh, Blue Book, NADA, and uh, you can, they have a subscription service that you can go into, and basically you enter in the VIN, the uh, manufacturer, the, uh, the model, the number of bedrooms, uh, and a few other items, and it will give you the, the value of that home, both on a wholesale basis and a retail basis. It'll give you the value of the home. And the amount that we sell that park-owned home for is always significantly less than what the Blue Book value is. But we'll go in there and we will, that'll be part of the presentation that the community manager does, is show the, the resident that this is the value of your home. And we're going to let you have it for this amount here. Uh, the other so you're thing- still, that, So you're, uh, you're selling them still. You're not giving them away. A lot of people give them away. Or is it really um, old rough? Do you give them away or give them for 500 yeah. bucks or something? We've paid people to take them. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So on the other, yeah. It, it, and I'll well, That's got to be an interesting I'll, sales pitch. Here's a valuable asset for you. So valuable. I'm going to give you $1,000 <laughs> to take over this money pit. Yep. Yep. And um, I'll get into that here in just okay. a minute. But, you know, one of the things that the Blue Book or the, the program allows you to do is it'll ask you, is the home in a community or not in a community? And if it's in a community, then it has uh, the five star rating. You know, is the community a one, two, three, four or five star? And the value, the depending upon the the grade that the community receives, obviously the higher the value of the home. Right. So we go in and we pave the streets. We take to the landfill all of the dinosaur homes that don't belong there. Uh, you know, we clean everything up and, you know, we skirt, we cool seal, we paint, we pressure wash, you know, do all of that beautification. And then you go in and you meet with these residents and you show them the two different reports on the blue book. You know, this is what your home was worth 
before we purchased the community. It was a two-star. Now it's a three-star or it's a four-star. Uh, it's difficult to take a park from two to four. Right. But if you if you go from two to three, it increases the value of that particular resident uh, by several thousand dollars. No, so they, they really see that and they appreciate that. And then, you know, for, you can also use that as, as ammunition and backup if you're going to be passing out rent increases to the tenant owned homes, you know, those, those people that have, those people that have lived there forever, you know, you can go in and show them that because of what we have done in your community, we've actually increased the value of your home by this amount, by several thousand dollars. So that's why we're increasing the rent because we invested hundreds of thousands into the community, which, you know, a rising tide will lift all boats and uh, the value of their particular home has gone up because of the investment that we made into the community. So it makes the rent increases a lot more palatable and easier to swallow for the residents. And uh, circling back to giving away the homes um, or actually paying somebody to take them, you are going to have homes that just, uh, you know, I don't, just about every park, you're going to have those homes that aren't worth very much at all. Uh, or you're going to have to put thousands and thousands of dollars into it to, to make it worth it. And the thing is, once you put thousands of dollars into that old home, what you have, you still have an old home at the end of the day. Uh, so a lot of times, if we have situations like that with those old homes, uh, we'll go in and, and we'll explain to the people that we're going to give you the home and we'll even go one step further. We will give you a credit of $500, maybe a thousand, maybe 2000 for material that you purchase to rehab the home yourself. The only thing that we ask is that you bring us the receipts and you show our manager, our community manager, you show them where the material has been used on that particular home. So if somebody wants to go to Home Depot and buy $1,500 worth of flooring or you know, $600 worth of paint or whatever it is they need to buy to get that home into the condition to live in, uh, we will help finance the, the purchase of that material and not charge them any lot rent while they're working on the home. Uh, as long as we can see that they have actually put that material into the home and are making progress, then we'll give them credit or we'll write them a check for the money that they've spent improving that home. Um, you know, the one thing that we don't want is somebody to go out and buy $2,000 worth of material and then go sell it to somebody else. Right. And then expect us to reimburse them. So, um, you've had that happen before. We've had that happen before. <laughs> I've been there. Yeah. Yeah. Just about everything we do today is a result of something that's happened in the past. Right. But they say good, good experience come or good judgment comes from experience. Experience yeah. comes from bad judgment. So, yes. Uh, and it's, and it's very seldom ever free. Right. So we, when we give away homes sometimes and when we do now, we we used to say, OK, we'll give you the house, but you got to paint it. You got to fix the outside. And then it didn't happen. So now we say it's a free home. Pick the colors. I don't care what color they are of these 16 choices. You pick the color. We'll paint it. We're going to fix the deck. We're going to stain the deck and we're going to clean the yard and power wash the home or whatever else. And that's going to cost five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars and say, you know, we'll give you that thousand dollars. Or we may say you, you pay us a thousand for the home. 
but then it, you know but it's just really for labor you pay our crews we home was free but you pay for the upgrade right exactly and um and it works you know usually if you bet you know if you just give the home away as a handyman special with no incentives um your success rate's going to be significantly lower we have found um and you know you put the burden on the 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 new homeowner you know to improve it and and it makes perfect sense if if your lot rent is at say 350 you know and you have a pretty decent delta um now all of a sudden you've got a 450 lot rent you know maybe 475 500 a month lot rent um it it certainly is is worth it you know to do that yeah good point no, I, 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 excuse me. I know you mentioned um, before we start recording. You guys did do hundreds of um, infills, um, and you got some of your own set crews. I'm curious, do you guys do your own transport also, or do you hire out the transport? No, we don't. Uh, we have the manufacturer arrange the transport because you're, you're basically uh, buying all new homes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I would say for probably four, maybe five years ago, uh, a lot of the manufacturers would allow you or encourage you to do your own transport. Um, but that really got complicated. Uh, you might, you know, we would have situations where our transport guys would show up at the at the factory to pick up the home and the home wasn't ready. Or it was on their lot, but there were three or four other homes in the way. Mm. You know, so so then the mover is sitting around waiting you know, for those other homes to be repositioned on the lot uh, before they can get to the home that we have. And, and then by the time they get it to us, you know, it's already the end of the day. Um, it just got very, very burdensome and complicated. But I find that today, most of the manufacturers will handle the, the transport from the factory, you know, to the community. Yeah. And that's whenever I buy new homes, I always let the manufacturer run it. For used homes, we got to organize a lot of it ourselves, and we've looked at even in-house tr crew. We got a guy that's quasi in-house. I'm so curious your view on buying new homes versus used, and then in particular, do you think you can put a new home in any community or only in you know nicer upper dollar lot rent communities? Yeah, that well, that's part of your DD. You know, is making sure that that new home doesn't stick out. You know, um, you've got to. When you're buying a 1100 square foot new home, say a 16 by 72, uh, three bedroom, two bath, you know, you're going to be renting that home out to a family, not to an individual, right. not to a couple, but in all likelihood to a family. And do they really want to be living in between two trailers from 1965, you know, that, that, that haven't been kept up? Uh, so you really have to think about how am I going to market this new home? You know, if you're bringing in 30 or 40 or 60 new homes into a community and you've got another 120 homes there that are just, you know, obsolete and, and ugly, you know, you really have to, to rethink that and say, you know, what's, how's our marketing success? Are we going to, to be able to fill those homes at a premium price with all of these but ugly homes surrounding, <laughs> you know. Right. So, you know, that's something that you have to look at. And, um, you know, will it fit in? 
Right. No, I agree. We, we buy, you know, we bought a lot of used homes last year and say, well, which park is it going to? I can look at the photo and I can tell you. So going to this one or this one or this one based on how the quality, you know, that we have one park and, you know, no disrespect to that town or those folks, but it's like that park, we're not going to send vinyl shingle homes in. So if we find a 1990 metal metal, it's going there. We find a 2007 vinyl shingles going five miles down the road. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Good stuff. Um, well, what what other tips or tricks do you want to share with our audience, Kirby, or other comments you want to share before we? Well, yeah, uh, you know, last year I think you know, twenty twenty two, we probably brought in somewhere between four hundred, maybe five hundred new homes. Um, it was a good year for us. We're seeing a slowdown in twenty twenty three. Uh, interest rates, you know, have impacted that some. The other thing that we're seeing is, um, you know, there's a a very large disconnect between buyers and sellers of parks today. Sure. Uh, you know, there, there's always a disconnect. And, and that's the that's why the, the the real estate brokers serve such a valuable function because they help bring, they help eliminate that disconnect, that gap between buyer and seller, and they bring it together. But today, the the gap is huge. The disconnect is really huge. You know, the sellers are still believing that their homes that or that their park is worth, you know, a six cap or a five and a half or a five cap, which the buyers today know better that it's not. You know, if your cost of funds is eight percent and you're you're paying a five cap for the for the park, it's not going to work. And um, so. We're seeing a slowdown on the infill that we're doing for ourselves because the opportunities are, are more scarce, I should say. Uh, but what we did find was that we're being asked by other owner operators, would we help them bringing in homes? Uh, so that's become a, a little profit center within the company that is we're projecting to grow significantly and probably 2024 uh 2025 i would guess that uh the revenue from contract work that we call it uh is probably going to exceed the revenue from the actual parks that we own uh, wow. so yeah so we're we're getting calls you know from a lot of operators uh who have anywhere from five to 60 homes that they want to fill in a park. And uh, we'll do everything uh, from site surveys, you know, getting the permits, determining the setbacks, determining the size of the homes, uh, the lot preparation, water, sewer, electrical, AC, skirting, decks, uh, clean up the interior, get it move in ready landscaping on the exterior um so we've been doing a lot of that uh the last several months and we we our pipeline is filling up quickly you know for 2024 on uh providing that contract work like that and do you guys select the homes and order the homes or is your does your client do that uh ultimately it's their decision uh we have some preferences you know we have um some manufacturers that we've had a lot of good success with over over the years 
and you know we we highly recommend looking into those. Uh, we also work with the the different financing organizations to help put together, especially for the the guys that have never done infill in their park before. Sure. You know, it can be pretty daunting, as you know, uh, making phone calls to the finance companies to to purchase these homes, uh, talking to the manufacturers, you know, getting the right type of home, uh, OSB wrap, you know, all of these different things that uh, that a first timer uh, might be unaware of. And even, you know, guys that have brought homes in, they know it's simple, but they also know it's not easy. And uh, so being able to provide an A to Z solution uh, is a real value to our fellow park owners. But to answer your question, circling back, ultimately the decision to purchase the home is going to be the park owner's decision on which manufacturer they want to go with, which models they want to go with, how much they want to spend, you know, that type of thing. Okay, good. Well, so, yeah, you guys have an impressive operation. Uh, it's, it's good to see you doing all those different scopes and different uh, attack plans on projects. Well, thank you. I think it, a lot of it's just survival. You know, <laughs> you, know you just, uh, we really didn't go into it with a master plan other than to be proud of what we do. Uh, you know, I like to, to tell our people that we were better than we were six months ago, and we're going to be better six months from now than we are today. Uh, so just, you know, wanting to do the right thing for everybody is, is important. You know, one of the things, you know, for, that I always think about is, you know, I would like to think somewhere down the road, 20, 30 years from now, uh, there's going to be a mother or a father who's talking to their children about uh, the quality of their life as they were growing up in this community. Uh, and they have fond memories of riding their bicycles, riding their scooters uh, throughout the community, the friends that they have in the community, uh, how safe they felt growing up in that community. Uh, you know, that's, that's probably one of the things that really drives me that I think about several times every day is changing the, the, the direction, changing the lives, improving the lives, the, the trajectory, uh, so that these grown-ups 20, 30 years from now have fond memories of their childhood community that they grew up in, and that they're not ashamed to, to tell people that they grew up in a manufactured home community. And that's the other thing that that is a burr under my skin or under my saddle, is, and that is um, when people refer to them as, you know, mobile home parks, trailer parks, trailer courts, <laughs> um, you know, or even a manufactured home community bothers me. Because, you know, if you go, you leave your office and you drive around Kansas City or if I drive around Nashville, I see a lot of red brick homes. I mean, red brick is is really big around here. And but when you go into these communities, you know, it's not set, the sign out front doesn't say Ravenwood, red brick community. Right. It's Ravenwood, period. Right. And the same with our communities. Why would you call it a manufactured home community? It's a community, period. And I think by 
granted, using the term manufactured community is better than trailer park or trailer court or whatever, but it's still, I think, a, a, a slap. I think uh, getting rid of the term manufacturing, just referring to, to it as a community, because that's what it is. No, I think that's a I think that's a laudable goal. I mean, part of what we do, we we call them mobile home parks typically because that's what our customers call them for purposes of marketing. Um, obviously, you know, MHI, for example, really wants me to say manufactured housing community because it's classier. I get it. Technically, the mobile homes went away after 1976, so they're all manufactured homes. <clears throat> you know, but I think it'd be it'd be nice to get there. I think that's uh, that's going to take a big industry swing. Um, for the residents, for the citizenry, the society to recognize the naming. So I think, but I had a guy that a friend of mine, his mom owned or his grandma lived in a manufactured home in Wisconsin. And he goes, he said, you know what they call the, I said, was you live in a trailer park, a mobile home park or a manufactured housing community? He said, you know, what we call them up there. I said, what? He said, a neighborhood. And I was just yeah. like, that's you know they figured it they got it done right up that's that's your goal he articulated yeah. it away but it, it, in pockets and that's what they call it and then in certain portions it's not a stigma you know and take florida for example a lot of people it's their second home right and, and but not that everybody needs a second home or you know but to have it where there's no you know shame about it and no um bad memories and i think that's great you know that you're able to play a part in that and yeah well, that's what we it's, some of this stuff isn't that expensive it's not inexpensive but Adding a playground, you know, adding a dog park, um, you know, mm -hmm. adding a pickleball court. That, that's not like crazy expensive. Fixing the roads is expensive. Okay. It has it a is. big, it has a big impact, but it's super expensive. Right. So, um, yeah. you, know, the, the, you know, that one, you may have to, you know, not, you can't tackle every park because some parks are worth 300,000 and they got $300,000 of road problems. Right. Um, yeah. But if the park's worth a million dollars, it's got a hundred thousand dollar road problem you can probably absorb it, you know, and, and, and you know, you know, you're not going to get that in the first rent increase, obviously, but um, over time you can absorb it. So yeah, uh, I think that's, I think you're doing a good job playing a part in making these communities better. So appreciate it. Well, Kirby, any that's other final thoughts or um, where, where can people find you if they want to reach out after this episode? Well, of course, you know, our website is the firm mhp.com. So the firm mhp.com. Email address is kirby.horton, K-I-R-B-Y dot H-O-R-T-O-N at the firm mhp.com or LinkedIn, obviously there. Um, so reach out and we're going to be in Louisville in a few weeks. Uh, we're going to have a pretty good crew there. I think we've got nine or 10 of our team members that are going to be there with us. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. You know, we always try to hit SECO and uh, Chicago in November for the leadership conference. Um, so, you know, look us up, say hi, and uh, we'd be happy to engage in conversation. It's, it's, it's a fun industry. It's, it's interesting. It's, you learn something every day and, you know, you just shake your head every day saying who'd have thought it, you know, like the craziest haven't, stories, right? Haven't, haven't seen that one before. <laughs> right. There's every yeah, it's all the time. It's like another another crazy story that none of my friends are going to believe, but it really it really happened. <laughs> it really happened. That's yeah. right. All right, Kirby. Well, I appreciate it. Thank okay. you. Well, hey, Ferd. Thanks a lot. Take care. It. Take care.
You've been listening to the Mobile Home Park Lawyer Podcast with Ferd Neiman. Ready to learn more? Go to www.themobilehomelawyer.com for free resources and materials to help you succeed. If you love the podcast, go to Apple Podcasts, give us your review, and subscribe today. Thank you for listening. Neither the Supreme Court of Missouri nor the Missouri Bar reviews nor approves certifying organizations or specialist designations. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.